Are you living your best life as a salesperson or entrepreneur? Or do you find you're working all the time on this hamster wheel of life while stressed out and not financially free, which is the exact opposite of what you had signed up for, especially now in this global pandemic? If this is you, you are not alone. I found myself there in 2008 when I lost everything, including my health, and had to pivot working from home for the first time with no money. I rebuilt my life from scratch, juggling motherhood and marriage to get my life back and be recession and pandemic proof today. Now we live laptop lifestyles with our kids and are poised to travel the world together. How did we do it? Join me as I share my health and wealth and wisdom secrets, tips, tools, and expert interviews to equip you to be recession proof and live your best life. My name is Lois Kofi, and this is Healthy and Wealthy and Wise. Well, all right, all right, all right. Hello, everybody. It's Coach Lois. I'm so excited today for this special full moon episode. I just scheduled this not too long ago. So I'm, I'm really honored to have a repeat guest today who I will introduce shortly. I just want to quickly welcome anyone who's attending live here at Healthy and Wealthy and Wise. We do 90% of our shows live because we want to have you feel connected, be seen, be heard, be engaged. Um, with our guests, with myself. So feel free if you are tuning in live, no matter which platform you are on, make sure you comment below, hashtag live. If you're on the replay, of course, hashtag replay. And of course, if you see value during this show, uh, and this is going to be a really uh, highly, I think, popular topic because it's been popular in my life for a while. And I've had a lot of clients who started microdosing so please hit the share button. Sharing is caring. You never know, especially as we enter into full-blown holiday season, family stuff. Uh, some people talking about money stuff. There's a lot of things in this 3D world that, that come up for us around the holidays. Seasonal affective disorder, depression, all of the things. And so today we're going to be talking about psilocybin, microdosing, and shamanic healing with my guest, Hugh T. Alchemy, who was here last December, if you remember that, Hugh. Um, he's a shamanic minister, an herbalist, mycologist, and he is also, um, I've been lucky to be on his show as podcast in Theo Radio. We got uh, Don Metcalf tuning in live. Thanks, Don. I'm so glad to see you on YouTube. And then Shanna, Shanna Banana, as I like to call her, is here. So Hugh, I'd love for you to um, take the baton here and share a little bit more about your story and how you became who you are today. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Lois. And I'm excited about being back on the show. Um, as a shamanic minister, I've gone back for a little bit of education this year and I got my uh, doctor of divinity cert. And uh, so I'm moving a little bit farther down the rabbit hole of exorcism and uh, deeper work on the spiritual level. That's it's amazing. Been about 14 years. I think it was my 13 year anniversary when I got that for me being a minister and doing the shamanic work. Like I started doing the shamanic work a while back and um, I probably started it more of as a practice and then it became more of like an offering at that point. And I was like, oh, I better get my reverend ministry stuff in order just in case. Um, that's about when I started doing microdosing too. I started taking um, experimental doses of mescaline cactus, and then uh, it went into psilocybin. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, uh, DMT and ayahuasca and 
some of the other healing combinations of plants. And we were just talking about salvia, which you had just heard of in the previous conversation five minutes ago, stuff like that. <laughs> and then, you know, circle back all, all the way through those experimental um, medicines and journeys. And then I started using cannabis. <laughs> so that blows the whole gateway substance concept away, right? And, and and why did you turn to microdosing? I'd love to hear, you know, what your, and, and then I'll share my story. Um, if you guys heard my episode with you before, I'll get to my story, but I always love learning is, is how and why you found microdosing for you. That's a good question. Why did I turn to microdosing? Um, I started cultivating the mushrooms and uh, the cactus, and I felt like there was some evidence um, in the spirituality that I was studying, which was Vedanta, yogic scriptures, and uh, looking for the information about Soma and the Rig Veda, and the uh, presentation of R. Gordon Wasson as a uh, uh, metaphor or suggestion that, that mushrooms were the Soma, the elixir of immortality of the ancient Vedics. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, if this is the elixir of immortality, and I'm studying consciousness and I'm studying alchemy, I better, and I'm studying yoga too at that time, I better try to do it for myself, experiment on myself. And I asked about efficacy and safety and protocols of use um, for my herbalist teacher who was out in San Diego, Escondido area. And I was living in that same area at the time. Um, and I kind of just jumped in. There was uh, there wasn't really like a lot of fear. It was like I had already done dimethyltryptamine, smoked a free base of 5-methoxy dimethyltryptamine. So I'm like, well, these other ones must be a little bit uh, gentler and, you know, more embodied. Whereas dimethyltryptamine um, was a really out-of-body experience, like a death-rebirth experience. So I uh, jumped right into not microdosing, but taking a full dose of uh, psilocybin mushrooms, a visionary dose. And um, I did the same thing, attempted that same thing with cactus prior to that. And both of those vision states were really uh, somatic, very embodied, um, gave me a lot of perspectives about myself, um, added to my spirituality, and then started to lock and key, uh, unlock um, my awareness of past lives, which I have always had since I was a child, living, growing and living in Southern California. So they, those things keep to keep proceeding, and um, in magical practice and in shamanic practice, as well as um, you know self discovery, uh, those sort of initiatory rites. I was like, okay, well, I've heard about taking smaller doses of these things. Um, I started out not with psilocybin microdosing. I started out microdosing with mescaline. And um, it gave me energy and mood supplementation. Um, it felt like it was cleansing. Um, there's even a, an episode I watched recently in the last few months of Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, where he goes down to take San Pedro, because I wasn't using peyote, I was using San Pedro cactus, um, with a San Pedro, uh, what do you call it, huachumero, or huachuma is the, the mix of San Pedro. And they take this guy takes it every day of his life he obviously can't observe strict dieta but he definitely does so he does mescaline every day and and so it's it led me down the rabbit hole of research like how is this safe and mm. um 
there is no, and this is why I think that psilocybin's on the on the cutting on the cutting board for uh, changing its position and schedule for the DEA, because there are certain things that psilocybin aren't isn't effective for. You can't take it every day as a microdose, but it does cure, as they've shown in studies, different things. Cure being an avant-garde word that maybe people don't want to hear, but it it helps. We could say it helps and it heals depression. I like to use the word cure because I'm a minister. Not everyone can speak to that place. You know, God and self and spirit cures, but medicine, the medical community can't cure. And therefore, if ever you were to receive a prescription for psilocybin, they can't say it's a cure. But I've seen people cured of major, major disorders like anxiety, depression, insomnia, things that are just plaguing their life. Uh, however, the point I'm getting to is that things like mescaline that are still scheduled and probably won't be changing their schedule for the DEA, um, unlike psilocybin, which is going to probably in the Biden administration, we think be rescheduled for therapeutic use. Uh, mescaline has no contraindications long-term for microdosing and people in the Native American church have, have used it almost their entire lives without side effects. Whereas psilocybin, you build tolerance to it. Mescaline, you don't really build tolerance to it. Um, so it's really interesting that um, my microdosing story starts with the cactus and then it moves to mushrooms. And I, since I was a cultivator in that time, back in like, uh, that was like 2009 or something, mm. um, I would just eat fresh mushrooms. And it just seemed like an honoring of the medicine, a way mm. of connecting with it a way of understanding how to grow better, how, how I had a relationship to it. And I wasn't really seeking it to make me a better person. I was seeking it to give me information and to learn directly from it as if it was a teacher. And I think more or less I got that idea from my herbalist teacher who was just like, yeah, you know, just do what the ancients did, observe, interact, create right relationship. And that's really the solid, the solid three principles of our life with everything, with humans and animals and plants and fungi, observe, connect and create right relationship. I love that. Wow. 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 You, you, I, I wrote copious notes down. So I want to revisit um, and unpack. We'll see how, how we go. I also want to remind any of our guests, because I know some people did want to attend live, you can uh, at any time ask us questions. Um, you can learn as well from what we're talking about, but if something comes up, please comment so that we can and get to your question. So you talked about a lot of things, um, but for anybody who's never microdosed, and now it seems to be kind of the, the buzzword, and you, you touched on a few different reasons why people would when a microdose, can you explain? Because there's people out there probably don't even know what is microdosing. Like what? What I've had people ask questions like, how much is it? Is it a gram? Is it a you know? What is the actual measurement? So do you mind unpacking the the actual definition of microdosing first? Totally. Uh, and I think we we talk about this a little bit both in the last podcast. So I encourage people who are able to go back and watch the replay with Lois. And then also um, 
we have a course online. I think microdosemushrooms.org is the easiest link to find that. Um, but you can find courses online about what is microdosing and you'll hear my voice and I'll have written the whole course up and you can find those through linktree slash mushroom shaman. And uh, so microdosing too, by the way, I'll, I'll put those in the show notes, but carry on. Great. Yeah. So microdosing is uh, a sub, um, sub visual, uh, it's like a sub, it's a dose that's below threshold when, and then we define threshold. That's, it's basically, you notice there's a, there's a change in your perception, a sub perceptual dose. That's what I was trying to say before. So for most people, a sub perceptual dose of psilocybin or mescaline is like milligrams. If it's concentrated milligrams of, of mescaline, then it might even be less. I mean, we're talking like 10 milligrams for um, mescaline, maybe even less, maybe like five. And uh, it's very rare that people actually have access to mescaline anymore. Um, it's mostly served in uh, Native American church ceremonies and or Wachuma ceremonies with the San Pedro cactus. And those aren't microdose ceremonies, obviously. But people do still microdose with it in liquid form. Um, and then with psilocybin, uh, we're talking like 80 milligrams to 100 milligrams of dried mushrooms. That's where most people start to notice perceptual changes, um, changes of perception. And I'm not talking about visual changes. I'm not talking about visual tripping. I'm talking about like, oh, I feel a little butterfly sensation or, oh, I might be thinking about that a little different or I might notice my emotions a little bit more or maybe my breathing deepens. Maybe my central nervous system responds differently to conversations. Um, I, I definitely personally notice that 100 milligrams, the way that I'm organizing data, concentration, focus, shift, and um, likely I'm not, if I'm exercising, I'm not really focused on the the monotony of it or the uh, possibility of there being a challenge about the weight I might be lifting or the amount of times I have to do an exercise. It's just not there. I'm not, not aware of that. Whereas normally I might be aware of that. It's not there anymore. So that's, that's a sub perceptual change. And uh, it's just a shift mostly of perspective. And then as we get to like 200 milligrams of powdered psilocybin containing mushrooms or magic mushrooms or uh, Psilocybe cubensis, which is the standard species of magic mushrooms that you'll find um, on and off the legal and illegal markets on the street. Uh, and hopefully at dispensaries in Oregon and come January. Um, these, these magical mushrooms, uh, 100 to 200 milligrams is still considered a microdose. Above that, when you get into 200 milligrams, it's starting to be a small dose. Some people need that. Um, but for me, I start getting more noticeable changes in perception and, uh, it's starts at about 200, 250 milligrams, depending on if I'm eating or fasting. Um, and then these things can last microdosing and magic mushroom dosage. Uh, they can last, uh, up to six hours in the system. And then there's always a tolerance. So you can take them every day, but you want to try to meter your doses once a day, um, give yourself a 24 hour break. Otherwise your body, your brain starts to develop tolerance. And the goal with microdosing for a lot of people is to, uh, to be a 
more cognitive, more creative, more capable, and some for some people even modulate their their um, ADD, their focus levels, mm-hmm. and or their mood. If your mood is disturbed by PTSD or anxiety, then these these microdoses of psilocybin specifically are really really helpful. Um, and so most people on the mar- the most people with markets out there are um, seeing these things in powder format or in um, capsule format. Mm-hmm. And uh, so start with, if you're wanting to start with a true microdose, it's about a hundred milligrams. And then you can always double up to 200 milligrams if you want to see where your receptor sites are capable of sensing that threshold of experience of the other state, the high, if you will. Yeah. And Shannon, I see your question. I want to, I'm going to get to that in a little bit. So I just want to acknowledge that, but I wanted to first, you, you brought up a bunch of things, consciousness, embodiment. I know for me, for those of you who don't know, um, when I found Hugh, I was in a really like dark place, had been, been really had a lot of grief, a lot of trauma unresolved. And I had a lot of subconscious wounds that were driving me and my decisions in life. So I was very unconscious and not, not in my body. So it was actually microdosing with psilocybin and of course doing the heroic doses and ceremonies that finally I could have somatic releases. I was able to cry because I was so numb. I was able to raise consciousness and start the healing process. And so I'd love for you to maybe share a little bit more about if, if you want to say the why that the plants are able to raise your consciousness and help you be in your body. Could you share a little bit about that? Okay. I'm probably not going to go up with it because we like to talk about highs and raising stuff. I'm going to go out with it cool. like a chi ball, like expanding the heart's uh, magnetic field, if you will, hmm. in, in the you know, consciousness talk. Yeah. Uh, but I also want to first acknowledge you for beating like alcohol as a habit, as a thing you turn to as a medicine that may have been at one of those decisions you talked about that you changed, that changed your life, that also domino affects other decisions. And you just turn to microdosing and, and these ceremonies and you really beat that as a pattern, not just a you pattern, but an ancestral pattern. Yeah. So thank you yeah, for doing that. <laughs> thank yeah. you for being a part of the journey. I couldn't have done it without you. Absolutely. So, ooh, there's a plane. Let me give the plane a second. And there's dogs. I'm sorry for your listeners. We got doggies. It's all good. It's really nice. He's been pretty well behaved. Um, Let's see. So, microdosing and these magical uh, psychedelic and um, entheogenic substances, depending on your, your camp. I'm in the entheogenic side of things, so I can't, I can't take these substances without acknowledging the spirit world. Some people can, and they call them psychedelics, and that's a little bit more general. Um, again, referring to psyche, the mind, versus um, where I think the spirit world and I interact is, is a little bit more in the body, in the heart, in the gut sometimes even in the fear section where we got their tailbone and stuff like that. So spirit for me and my practices is really a full body thing. So I don't use the word psychedelic as much. Um, and hence the radio name in Theo radio. Um, for those of us who are hearing that term for the first time, it 
just means um, generating spirit or God within, Theo being God. Mm -hmm. It's a substance that generates spirit within or God within. Mm. Um, whereas a psychedelic means more or less, it's, it's mind manifesting. The mind then gives way to reality and, and other things. So, and, and I absolutely avoid the word hallucinogen because while hallucinogen is uh, a cool terminology, hallucination might not actually be the basis for some of these experiences. Because when mm -hmm. we start to define reality, we start to see that it's it's more or less mutual hallucination based on belief. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to it's hard to use hallucination as a as a um, solid term anymore. It just in general, uh, I like dreams. I like visions. Those are good alternative words for that. Uh, so here's where here's where I think it shifts. Um, consciousness as a as a a mechanism, microdosing and psilocybin is a mechanism for expanding consciousness is more or less a process of becoming more aware of everything around you, all your relations, as we say in Native American traditions. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to bring it back to a story from a family member. My family members have studied uh, Carlos Castaneda's work when it first came out. And I was uh, lucky enough to be involved with what I'm involved with and talked to um, my grandfather's brother about an LSD trip he took. And uh, we were up in the Redwoods. They live up in the Redwoods in Northern California. And, and they're, they're the side of the family that was like, ah, no, we're not doing this um, whatever. But the warmongering of Southern California, which is just a little bit more of a less liberal zone. So they went up there and, you know, they grew pot and they, they're part of a, a liberal family background or a, a conservative family background, which I'm part of too, but they decided to be more um, involved with nature and more involved with uh, these entheogens. He's, he's telling me as an old man, um, and I'm a young man, that he took LSD with his son once and his son was there present. It was my cousin Tomas. And, um, they looked at the dog while they were tripping and the soul of the dog and the spirit of the dog and the kindness and the compassion of the dog just came out and they're like, wow, this dog is so loving towards us. It's important to be like loving in, in reciprocity. Mm. They, they both could see it. You know, their separate experience was that the dog just absolutely was showing this, you know, aura and energy of an eminence of love and gratitude and just wanting to be with them. And they were, you know, out on a trail in nature probably. Mm. And so it's the same concept when we microdose, even if we're not taking a large dose, but for some of us who are taking bigger doses, we feel our container is here when we start. And, and Dr. Ralph Metzner, had a cool lecture on this. He talked about the layers of consciousness. He's a friend of mine. He's been on the My Theo Radio podcast a couple times, and he's passed. But mm -hmm. he would talk about how when we go to sleep and we dream, first part of sleep is very contracted. You know, there's that black theta delta space. Here comes that plane again. Ooh, it's fast. It's a jet. <laughs> so there's this contraction. We all experience it once a day. And then we start to dream and that 
contraction opens up a little bit. And in the dream state, just like in some of these altered states, we're aware of what we're aware of. And we're like, it makes sense. We start in the middle of a process, maybe in the middle of a story. And mm -hmm. we're like, oh, I'm going to go to the grocery store with this person who's been long dead. And, you know, the grocery store seems to be having a shortage of this. And it, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, that shortage was related to this thing that in my dream memory makes sense, but is really a, still a contraction of consciousness. You're not aware that you're dreaming. Hmm. Lucidity within the dream. You're like, oh, wait, I'm dreaming. The grocery store doesn't normally operate like this. I'm somehow aware I'm a dream in a dream. And now I can become aware of that this is my creation. Hmm. Then we wake up. And when we wake up in the morning, we're aware of the dream. Some of us we're aware that we were asleep. We're aware of our bed. We're aware maybe of our partners and our house and then the room and then the time of day, whether it's daylight or not. And then you see your, as you're doing this, the sphere of consciousness is opening up. And then you start to remember your past and your family and where you came from and what you have to do. And sphere of consciousness gets really pulled out. And this is where all of our ADD and neurotic focus begins in this really big space. Mm. And so when we interface with our daily, we're going from small to large awareness. And when we laser focus back down to our work at our desks, maybe by taking coffee or some of these amine-like substances, we're back into the needle focus. And some people get really in that needle focus. So with psilocybin, you can do either if you train your consciousness. With microdosing, you can do either. But for the most part, I think that the mushrooms, at least the spirit of the mushrooms, when I've experienced them, they want you to go into a space of expanded self-awareness, like not just uh, your mind, but your body, your body as a whole and as a community. They give you a microscopic awareness of your DNA, your ancestors, your heritage, you know, the reasons why you're uh, choosing what you're choosing on a daily basis, eating what you're eating on a daily basis. Mm. And, and so that, that might not be this big thing because that's maybe more of the, the larger, more classical psychedelic experience. It's, it's like you normally would put food in your mouth and you've got this much consciousness, but now you've microdosed and you've got a little bit more consciousness mm -hmm. about what's in your mouth, how you're chewing, how you're breathing when you do it. And so think of it as um, we each have magnetic fields and those magnetic fields, when we interface with the mushrooms, uh, those magnetic fields are more expanded. Uh, I love it. And it's mainly because it's a soul food. It's an entheogen. You know, we're, our spirit is interfacing with this reality. <laughs> Jets. I love it. I just want to acknowledge, I love that you're coming from, and this is why I work with Hugh, you guys. One of the things that I know, having been in the health and fitness industry, having sold coffee since you mentioned coffee, um, I know how people, they're always looking for a quick fix, a magic pill, a snake oil, a lotion or potion, right? And a lot of times the, the shakes and the supplement industry and all that that I've been in, I got a little disenchanted 
because again, people were expecting a placebo effect or some kind of overnight result. And, and that's, that's more where I would say you were talking about being stuck more in the, the mind and the expectation. Whereas with, with microdosing and working with you, you're more about the spirit, the relationship with the medicine. So that's one concern I have about, you know, microdosing being even with psychotherapists and being out there in the world, I think if you don't have a relationship with the the medicine, isn't it going to be, do you think some people are just going to be like, give it a try and then, oh, it, it doesn't work for me because they're treating it like more like a supplement. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The, let me say it like this. There is no one keeper of the flame or the fire of our ancestral heritage of our healing. There is no one keeper, whether they are certified or they've been to school or they're a microbiologist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a doctor. There is no one keeper. We are all part of the sacred fire of the ancestors. And they all, in order to get us to this state, in my, my experience, the state that we're even listening to this podcast in, mm -hmm. they all took my mushrooms. There is not a single ancestor who did not utilize these sacred plants and fungi to get us where we are today. Wow. Wow, that's profound. So we can't, I mean, it's okay that they're doing that. It's a step in the right direction, but we, we can't, at least I can't, let me own that. I can't see it as a compartmentalized thing. It's it's grows in nature. It's God given medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to kind of uh, what do they gate? They gatekeep it, and even in Oregon now they're gatekeeping it um, with dispensaries, with uh, therapists, and doctors' recommendations. And I think our society is sick, and it's important to help sick people realize they're sick and move into a place where they um, they can be healthy and use these things in a healthful way. So that's that's a good reason for the gatekeeping. However, society is a bad reason to take medicine and we're all participating in the sickness of the society. Mm. Yeah, and that's why I you know appreciate you bringing that up with this podcast. I wanna raise people's consciousness to be an advocate for your own health and to to understand the the mind body spirit connection of of microdosing, which I I, I want to get to that, but I want to also honor Shanna. I believe this is you. Um, how do you set, decide? Because you brought up mescaline, you brought up LSD, and obviously, I mean, there's so many different. I've I've microdosed with you know four different types of medicines now, but I've also been working with you, and I've been working with people that are in the space, but. Uh, Jets. Okay. So uh, the question from your viewer there was, uh, how do you decide which medicine is right? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of ways. You know, you can you can see a guide. You can see. Uh, a, a number of different healers. One of the, one of my favorite things that I started with at a very young age was um, kinesiology muscle testing. Mm. So you can muscle test to see if this medicine or supplement or food is really good for you. 
you can see a naturopath and that naturopath might have an opinion about certain things over other things. It's important to realize like, it's not really about what you take. It's about in this case, how you take it, what mindset, what intention you go in with and with whom and where you take it. Cause your environment, as they used to say in my yoga instructor training, your environment is always stronger than will until you strengthen your will. And there's only one way to strengthen your will to align it with the, the greater will with great spirits will. Mm. And so the more you are in alignment with your destiny, if you feel really out of alignment with your destiny, your will is going to be like this big. And if you start aligning yourself with the flow, the Tao, the great spirit, God, consciousness, great mystery, all of these things, your will will at least be this big, as big as your middle pillar, raining down energy so that that, that will have an effect on what kind of experiences you have and how you, your perspective shifts as a result. Your belief system is 90% of your healing. It might actually be 99%. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we're, we're interfacing with reality and reality 100% of the time is a result of your 99.9% .9 belief system interface. And that other percent, that's all your relations. I love it. Yeah. And one thing that I, if I want to add this too is because I've started coaching people with microdosing since September and um, what you said, belief system is 99%. Uh, what I, what I found for myself, because you know me, when you met me, I was like busy, do, do human doing. I was stuck in the analytical mind, which is, I was coming from a not enough place, which I didn't know at that time. Of course I had to raise my conscious awareness and see, oh my gosh, that is why I'm on autopilot. That's why I'm choosing to drink too much, work too much, all of the, the too muchness. And so I had to consciously choose to create more spaciousness. Going back to your point about the will, right? If, if you're spread too thin, if you're hoping that this microdosing will be that magic pill, right? Um, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Then you have too small of a will. So what I've seen work for people, and I'd love for you to expand upon this is I chose to slow down. And in my experience, that made all the difference for me. Um, because again, coming from the fitness industry, you know, we were used to popping pills and shakes and just being on the go. But I, I realized that wasn't going to work for me with this. I, I had to have more of a mind, body, spirit, journaling more, meditating more, sitting away from my computer more and, and being more in the stillness for that will, going back to your point about environment is key for me to really get lasting change and shifts in my consciousness. So can Absolutely. you speak to that a little bit and, and how important that is along with the medicine? Yeah, I'm just calming the dog so she doesn't bark more, but she might. Um, speaking to lasting change, yeah, it's a discipline and kind of going back to the question of the client or the um, the viewer fan it's it's like maybe it's not one thing mm -hmm. uh, not it's, it's especially not one thing external and so when you realize that by taking a myriad of medicines 
starting with psilocybin, which I think is really kind to everyone to start with. Because again, the mushrooms, in my opinion, an assessment of uh, history, reality, and, and consciousness and society and all of that, between cannabis and mushrooms, we definitely have been uh, genetically modified to, to participate in their reality. And so what we're doing even now is participating in their reality. Even if you don't take magic mushrooms, oh, the fungi have you. They hold you in your cheese, in your bread, in your beer, in your wine, in your breath. They hold you every day. They are part of the terraforming of this planet and the entire universe. Hmm. So wow. we're... we're walking fungal petri dishes <laughs> but yeah so exogenously externally when you're looking for answers um it's important to kind of make sure those those answers if you're taking a pill if you're taking a, a yoga class those answers always bring you back to the belief system to the to the spontaneousness of healing through perception through awareness and, and that takes discipline. Sometimes you, you know, Lois, you, you're a testament to this. You take a meditation class or a practice or a yoga class and you are just not still. You're just not peace. You're just not serene. Yeah, the mind's going crazy. And then from my perspective, when I can accept that, when I can be in joy be in, and then I've been reading to my partner, Alyssa, I've been reading to her, the Tao of Pooh. The Taoists really had something. And Winnie the Pooh in our Western culture is a prominent Taoist. Wow. Winnie the Pooh is a philosopher. I'm going to brand it like that. So <laughs> what, would, what would Pooh do if he was sitting there in meditation with thoughts about Christopher Robin and honey and where he has to go with rabbit and what piglet's doing today. And like, okay, who would just be like, bring it back to the honey. All right. Now I've got just one focus. I'm going to bring it back to breathing. Oh, that's nice. That's relaxing. And he sort of accepts where he's at. It's one step at a time, giving yourself the discipline that you need. The medicine is more or less the discipline of the mind mm. and the mind is more or less the discipline of reality. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and we're we've we we you and I now because I introduced Franco to you. Franco has been on my podcast three times now, so we've <laughs> talked a lot about that pursuit of happiness. And a lot of times we've been programmed in this game, this illusion of this world to to look for those happiness external externally, right? Whereas just going back to the basics, the Tao of Pooh. I love that. I'm going to have to check that out um, to go inward to find that. And just to simplify and to slow down is just so delicious when you, when you can build that muscle. Because for me, you know, recovering type A overachiever in a very masculine, you know, career of sales, right? That's, that's the antithesis of what was modeled to me by my, many of my mentors, right? It was all about the hustle and the doing. So just sharing with you guys how much I have changed in the last 18 months, 18 months ago that I, that I started. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to let the dog 
in the house. Perfect. Perfect. So yeah, well, while Hugh's doing that, Don, I did see your question. I was going to mention to you guys, this is the last uh, few minutes. So if you have questions, this is the time to, to share them. And so Don has a question, Hugh, and I want to acknowledge also, Don, that, that Hugh has been a huge part of me um, unblocking my ancestors, you know, having a lot of ancestral karma and things that I believe I came into this body in this lifetime to break those ancestral curses and, and heal a lot of that forwards and backwards. Um, so Don has heard me talk about this. I'm streaming live inside of my ancestral um, breakthrough Facebook group that me and my husband just created. Yeah. So Don said, how does one's ancestry influence the present? And how does microdosing affect this influence? I can't wait to hear your response to this. Wow. I don't know if I can really, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> but that right there is a dissertation question. Yep. <laughs> uh, Don, I'm going to not acknowledge you for having the same last name as somebody who I feel I can learn a lot from. His name is uh, Byron Medcalf. And he does some amazing shamanic journey work music. So check out Byron Metcalf and his shamanic journey work music. So Don Metcalf, uh, wonderful question about ancestry and how it influences the present and microdosing. So we have the ancestors within us all the time. Most of our most of our decisions, especially the unconscious ones, are ancestral related. Um, you know, mom did it, so I do it too. Dad did it, so we do it like he does. Uh, in Sedona, I heard a recent phrase visiting there, um, as I live pretty close by to Sedona. You came into this life, Lois, to be a cycle breaker. Have you heard that one? Oh, hell cycle yeah. Breaker, break the cycle. So... Um, the ancestors, they want to be honored. They cause us to do and to make unconscious decisions because it got them where they were able to, you know, sire children and pass on the legacy of genetics to you, the listener. However, it did not get them, obviously, into a place of um, dynastic or like fullness of success, like dynasty, using the word dynastic, so that they their ancestors would be more healed than they are. Obviously, we are a little bit more evolved and healed than they are, but we're coming in with stuff that we can change, new decisions that can be made. And so what I would say is it's important to honor the ancestors. It's important to honor the traditions. And like in recognition build the structure for change and i hope that kind of answers the question there like um the structure for change is really built upon what we know subconsciously and so if you will have a subconscious belief system that you're always taken care of or that you never have enough that's your structure what are you building on this life you're building from that place and so with microdosing, you become more aware of that structure. And, and this is the beautiful thing about mushrooms is that uh, everyone in the science communities, regardless of their stance on whether it's a psychedelic or an entheogen, 
they see mushrooms, they see psilocybin specifically as a lens. Think of it as a lens. When you get a doctor's prescription and you've been like not able to see certain street signs, you put a doctor's prescription on, you can't read a book, whatever, and suddenly the letters are clear. This is what psilocybin and microdosing can do to your awareness of ancestral decision-making. Does that kind of answer the question? As short as we can be in this podcast? I think so. And what I was going to say, if, if Don, if you want to um, ask another question, I, I see you, Shanna. She has a great question. I, and I want to just share, if I may, because um, yeah. Hugh helped me kick this off um, when we did some work together and he said, you know, your ancestors are blocking you. And I'm like, WTF, what, what is that all about? Right. And, and recognizing by me choosing to, again, I already knew that I like that cycle breaker is probably better. Curse sounds a little harsh, but you know, it is, it is what I, I use as a, as a word, because I do believe that, you know, you can turn curses into blessings that your, your pain points and your life karma can be become your dharma, right, can become your teaching of, of the world. And so that's why Didier and I created this, this new Facebook group about breaking those ancestral curses, because we've lived it. We've learned so much from the medicines and more from from um, heroic doses, Don, I do want to acknowledge that, um, but also from the microdosing. Now that I've gone through the heroic dose journeys where I actually, I, I convened with my ancestors, and I'm like, why am I a binge drinking workaholic? Like, what is this all about? Because I know this is not who I am. I wasn't this person. I knew it in my my soul was crying and saying, this is not you. This is not you. You've got you've to gotta do something. You've got to break this. And because there's a lot of times where people say that disease, disease runs in your family. Alcoholism runs in your family. And, and I'm here to tell you, it's it's really more of the, the, the trauma, the subconscious limiting beliefs that have been passed down. And so while I was sitting with my ancestors, they told me why, why I carried that shame and worthlessness and not enoughness. And again, all of this was deep, deep inner work that led me to that conversation with them. And I had a breakthrough. I realized, oh my gosh, so this was my gift. This was my ancestor's gift to me that was impacting my present for a really long time, about 14 years. And I asked them, hey, can I be done with that now? Can I, can I like let that shit go? Pardon the expression. And, and they laughed. And ever since that was, that was June of this year in, you know, this heroic dose ceremony, I was able to then have total awareness and I catch myself now when I go to that shame or worthlessness or not enoughness that led me to make all of those decisions that were really painful for my life for a really long time and find love and compassion and peace and understanding. And so I continue to microdose to now connect even deeper with that that memory, that spiritual connection that I have with my ancestors within. And that it's also a way for me to, to be more conscious, to be more aware, to, to not go backwards, to not go back that way. That was my lessons and the, the cycle that I'm breaking. So I don't know if, if you want to add anything more to that, Hugh, because obviously you're, you know, you've been in the space a lot longer than I have, but that, that's how I like to explain that whole ancestral thing. Hey, I acknowledge you. That is very, uh, 
descript and it fits a lot with what I practice and believe. I want to also add to Don's question to kind of facilitate a little bit more into um, how microdosing can be more of a direct way to uh, interface with the ancestors. I microdose and I go swimming and I am a little bit uh, of a scaredy swimmer. I microdose and I do cold plunge and I really don't like doing that. I microdose and I do sweat lodge or I do a bit a small dose and I do sweat lodge and it's challenging. It's challenging to the point where I feel like I'm going to die face in the dirt. It's hot in here. I can't breathe. Why do we microdose and do these things? It's because the combination was done by our ancestors is an honored tried and true path. And when we get close to the place of death, we can hear more clearly all the people we've been that have given us good advice that have got us to this point. And we get out of the situation and we move forward with that extra information. Just as Lois, her story acknowledged that she didn't want to do it like she was doing it. But when you take a heroic dose, sometimes you get really close, or at least psychologically, you get really close to death. At least the door of it. And we can listen through the door quite safely to the people on the other side. Yeah, it's pretty magical. I know if my husband are here, he can tell you some really amazing stories. Now I've started channeling with my ancestors and rocking out to music with my ancestors. And it's um, once if you can get to that level, guys, I can't even begin to tell you the 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 love, the connection. And I know a lot of people feel separate right in this world with a lot of dogma, a lot of rules, a lot of judgment, you know, a lot of that's going away. Um, thankfully, it's really nice to know that you're not alone. And I think that's where it, a lot of people's biggest fear is feeling separate, abandoned, feeling alone, feeling weird, um, feeling less than. And when you can make that connection with the help of the medicine and overcome those fears and know that you have guiding support with the medicine and with your ancestors, it's just, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It just took me, took me a while to get there. So just want to thank you so much, Hugh, for your, for your help in that. And I just want to acknowledge, Don, um, your comment about, I can see what you mean. I see the influence in me. Expanding the awareness is a good way. So that's beautiful. I want to quickly, because I know it's almost 50 minutes here, Hugh. Um, Shanna asks, what's the youngest this medicine can be used? You know, there's, that's, I'm going to jump right on that. Uh, there's a lot people in other cultures that aren't part of our sick society here in the U.S. of A. who are allowing in um, microdosing and or small doses, appropriately sized doses of ayahuasca, mescaline-containing cactus, and psilocybin-containing mushrooms to their children with their families intact before they become uh, distracted by separation, divorce, uh, pain, suffering, things like that. So um, I myself, uh, in my family, in my household, I have uh, a son who's going on 11 and he has microdosed for about half of his life. 
and we don't obviously do it consistently. It's no, it's not, you know, punishment related. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm going to do this. Would you like some? And he can make a decision on that. So I'll stick my neck out by saying that I think it's normal and appropriate household uh, practice to take these medicines in as a, as a father and as a participating parent in a relationship. Um, and then, you know, he knows he's always been around. I've grown his entire life, more than his entire life. And he knows what these things do. He's, he's sat ceremony with me. He's sat healings with me. He knows people get well, which is a euphemism for vomit. And he knows what it means. He knows they drank the medicine and he knows that they're vomiting and he knows that they're vomiting more than just uh, stuff, physical stuff. He knows they're vomiting emotional stuff. So he's a very special guy and not everyone's raised that way. But uh, I think we can start to safely suggest microdosing is reasonable for children. Again, um, the dosage really matters. People, I know people who microdose their cats and their dogs. I, I think in, um, in cultures in South America, it's pretty common for the first ayahuasca to be administered at birth. It's just a drop. Mm. And then um, they kind of begin to take a very small dose of ayahuasca at eight years old. And I think in uh, labor, childbirth, the mother of a Native American woman who is part of the Native American church will often take peyote in the birth process. So it's gotta be in the milk. The mescaline will be in the milk. Um, these medicines are very safe when done culturally appropriately. And I'm not talking about, if you're not part of the culture in South America or some Native American tribe here in North America, not talking about using their culture I'm talking about using your own culture in your own house adding to it a little bit of medicine work a little bit of sacred food think of it as sacred food mm. if you are old enough to take communion and wine why not <laughs> if you're old enough to take the basis for the wafer in catholic church which was a mushroom cap in my opinion. However, my opinion is relatively extreme. It's not the opinion of a doctor. It's an opinion of a shamanic minister. And uh, I have sat, my first sweat lodge ceremony when I was a teen was with a woman who brought her child. The child um, was probably about nine, 10. So people are in that sweat lodge and they may need more water. They may, may need to sit by the door and they may need to come out more frequently than the other members. But there's no reason to ostracize uh, a young person who wants to be part of a group, wants to be part of a tribe, wants to acknowledge their ancestors, wants to honor themselves. And they'll kind of gauge whether or not they're ready. And I, um, I do acupuncture on myself. Um, a good example, again, my son's pretty bold and I put acupuncture needles right here on my face when I have, you know, sinus congestion. And I'm like, hey, man, you, he's always seen me do it for like two years. And I'm like, do you want one of these? And he's, he's like, oh, no, but my nose is stuffy. And I'm like, I see that you want it. I know it's a needle and it can hurt for just a second. So his first acupuncture needle was actually in his face. Very first one. 
And, wow. And he wanted it out like a few minutes later. He didn't sit with it for 30 minutes like I do. But children at a certain age decide that they want to participate. And I think culturally we can start to honor that dosage appropriately. I mean, obviously, robo-fucking-tussin. Sorry for the cuss word. Robo-tussin <laughs> has, has a trippy-like thing in it. I've heard recently people are tripping on robo-tussin. And we give that to kids. It's cough syrup. Wow. So, wow. So there's no reason why kids can't have either a mystical experience or a microdosing experience or an acknowledgement of their heritage, of their ancestors, of their family, or of their bodies. You just have to be honest with them. And I know yeah. that's really scary for some of you out there. Well, you just inspired me because my son has done hape. I don't know if I ever told you that story, Hugh, but um, we uh, we had a, a hape ceremony, and my 13 year old got to give that a give that a go. And when you talk about connecting with your ancestors, and you talk about the sacredness, the mental, physical, spiritual components of of microdosing, and with kids, I I, I think that's brilliant. And they 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 see what we teach them, right? As parents, we model a lot of things. So we've been very open about um, our shamanic healing journey, our, our path and connecting with our ancestors. And now we're drumming and singing with our kids to our ancestors and, and uh, really turning it more into a, um, a mystical experience, even without the medicine. But I, I love that question, Shanna. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I know we're, we're right almost at an hour, Hugh. So um, I want to uh, acknowledge uh, you for taking the time or being here and I'm going to put your links, your link tree link, as well as your microdosing free course inside the show notes. Is there anything else that is on your heart that you want to share before we wrap it up? Well, the biggest thing is safe journeys. And that means a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, just remember your set and setting. We are, we're all in the learning process. And I, before I provide medicine, serve medicine for, for people, with people, um, even in the microdosing capacity, I always look at health history, um, dreams, psychology, and, and your belief systems that are from your background, from your upbringing. So mm -hmm. before you, you know, approach a conversation with a medicine man or a medicine woman, and you're willing to take these substances, Know yourself, know thyself. It's an ancient, ancient uh, meme. <laughs> I love that. Because that's what you're bringing to the altar. You're bringing yourself first, first and foremost. Mm. Beautiful. Wow, that's so powerful. I want to I wanna end on that because that's um, a really great way. And I may even actually title the, you just gave me a title for the podcast is uh, Know Thyself and to thine own self be true, to be able to, to take this medicine and to do it in a set, setting that supports you, that helps you expand yourself, your consciousness. And I love what you said even about the spirit embodied and really tuning in with your body. Um, not even though we know that microdosing helps with the mind and the depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff, the body, the body's kept the score and is always there as a teacher along with the medicine. So Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, viewers. Uh, I will have all of the links in the show notes. Please hit the share button if you saw value in this today. And if you 
aren't already in um, either my Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Facebook community or my new one, since we talked about this today, the Breaking Ancestral Curses uh, for Your Health and Wealth. Uh, I'll drop that link in there as well and uh, look forward to see you guys on my next episode, next show. Until next time, guys, here's to your best health, your best wealth, and your best wisdom. Bye-bye for now. All right, all right, all right. Thank you for attending another amazing Healthy and Wealthy and Wise show. Thank you so much. Please subscribe, download, leave a review or a rating. And also, if you felt like you could benefit from some help, maybe some magnetic mind support, maybe some lead generation and sales strategy, I would love to gift you a free month of my membership or go to bookacallwithlois.com. That's right, www.bookacallwithlois.com. And if you haven't had a one-time free strategy session with me, that's my gift to you today for attending all the way to the end. Here's to your best health, your best wealth, and your best wisdom.